if you think you're going to learn everything by yourself, you'll fail. You've got to surround yourself with people that can fill the gap. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. And today I am joined by an entrepreneur who we dive deep into what his transformation has been like from solopreneur to entrepreneur. And we kind of workshop some of the struggles he's he's dealing with now in his business. And so excited that Marty Kaiser has joined us. He's the founder, CEO of IVBH, a leader in liquid biopsy technology. And they're on a radical or a mission to radically improve the detection, diagnosis, and treatment of disease. I'm telling you, a little bit of the conversation went over like my eyes glossed over because it's all in the biotech space. But we had the most incredible conversation all about what it was like to jump into building this business, what it was like to actually build it with a team, and now how they're going to scale and grow. So without further ado, please help me welcome Marty to the show. Marty, welcome to the show. After scheduling craziness, we finally did it. We're finally here hitting record. Um, Tis the life of entrepreneurship, right? <laughs> oh, you got that right. A lot of scheduling, a lot of holidays, a lot of work, a lot of family, but here we are. We made it. Exactly. So thank you so much for, and especially after hearing your crazy travel schedule over the last month and a half, like seriously, thank you for your generous gift of time and, and sharing wisdom to listeners. Like I'm, I'm really, really grateful you took the time and excited to dig into to some stuff and you get to share some lessons and we get to jam out on some, some topics around leadership and building teams. So thank you. Sounds like a great plan. It's a pleasure. It's mine. So prior to recording the show, you and I met, uh, we were introduced by a mutual friend or actually my podcast management team and, and leader Sid introduced us. Um, and we had a great discussion about navigating just lessons that you've learned on leadership and just entrepreneurship in general and what it's like, what that, what the journey is like from being a solo entrepreneur, right? And to becoming yeah. an entrepreneur with a team um, and definitely like a difference in how you show up, how you think about things. Um, and that's, I want to dig into that topic for sure. But before we start, can you just give a little bit of a background of your entrepreneurship journey? Like how did you become an entrepreneur and a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it happened very in in a similar way to most entrepreneurs where you know, it came from within, it, I was sort of pulled and called to the opportunity and, and then, you know, made all the decisions and all the plans and took all the risks to actually, you know, make it happen. And, and so, you know, it's, there's just a lot of, it, it definitely started as a solopreneurial journey, uh, so to speak, but yeah, the background professionally, um, you know, I got there in a different way. So I began my career in finance. I was in the asset management industry for more than a decade. I was specializing in raising capital for various investment strategies, um, a lot of a lot of um, growth equity strategies that had heavy healthcare, heavy tech, heavy innovation, just vertical you know verticals of innovation. And those were the strategies that I always gravitated towards the most. The ideas I was most passionate about uh, happened to be sort of tough tech centric things that take a long time, cost a lot of money, really hard to pull off high risk, but incredibly high reward. And so I always gravitated towards that um, in my financial career. But it was probably about 2016, early 2016, where I got what I called the bio bug. And that year was a really important year 
because we had just come across the other side of the Theranos blood testing scandal, this fraudulent act uh, within Silicon Valley. And for the first time, you started to see companies, real companies with real leadership, with real science and real data, proving that for the first time, what used to require invasive tissue-based biopsies to detect or diagnose something, you could actually detect and diagnose those things in human biofluids, things like blood, things like urine, things like saliva, fecal matter. And I just became absolutely obsessed with that technology. And, you know, so much so, you know, obsessed on both the earliness of it, you know, the the earliness of the opportunity, um, and mostly it, uh, obsessed with the impact, the, the, the social and the financial impact that being able to unlock these technologies and weaponize them for good, you know, it was such an exciting opportunity for me. And for me, I didn't want to sit back and watch that, uh, that opportunity unfold. I didn't want to passively sit on the sidelines and invest in it. I really felt called to lead it and to actually be the leader in this field. And so I spent the better part of two years while I was still in my finance career. So mornings, evenings, holidays, everything in between, I was doing deep, deep levels of research on uh, and due diligence on different data sources, different technologies, things like AI, machine learning, evolutionary computing, rethinking business models, rethinking research and development processes. Because from my finance perspective, you know, in this industry, it's very common, actually, it's average to take about 10 years to develop something. It's average and, and common to spend in the billions of dollars on research and development. And it's very common that in over 90% of cases, you know, people fail, that these ideas never come to fruition. And so it was really important to me that if I did go into this field and that I was approaching it, uh, that I would approach it in a different way, with a different model, with a different process, and not eliminate the risk, but at least try to create a model where we could do things faster, more efficiently, with better outcomes, which, again, is I think what every entrepreneur is always trying to do within their within their field, make things faster, cheaper, better, um, and more scalable. And so I spent two years doing all that intense planning. And I'll tell you, after that two-year period, my wife, Katie, who is my high school sweetheart, and that's an important detail in this because there's an enormous amount of trust and love and respect between us, um, she approached me and had, you know, I, I, I think I can use uh, foul language here, but she had a shit or get off the pot moment um, conversation with me. And she said, Marty, look, you are obsessed with this. You seem like you've got a pretty good grasp on you know what it is you want to do and, and feel pretty confident that you can do it. And you know we've gotten to a point where you're exhausting so much of your time and attention on this that you either need to do it or just never talk about it again. And so through that conversation, and, and fortunately, as my best friend and, and loving supporter, she said, you know, if you want to do it, I'll support you and I'll be there 100%. And so it was with her blessing that gave me that push, that little nudge uh, to take the risk and to take the leap. And so in 2018, we sold our home, we uh, liquidated all of our assets. We literally pushed all in in every sense of the word, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, and and really went for it. And so in 2018, I created my company, which I call IVBH. It technically stands for IV Bio Holdings, but IVBH uh, is really the brand that it's evolved into. And we are now today one of the global leaders in liquid biopsy technology, so non-invasive testing uh, and when it comes to early detection, we have the largest and most advanced product pipeline 
in non-invasive testing for three of the most prolific disease areas in the world. We started in lung cancer, we moved to liver disease, and our most recent uh, project is in breast cancer. And wow. we are the only company in, in our field uh, that is doing what we call real early detection, which is detecting disease in stages zero to two with greater than 90% accuracy. And we're on track to launch uh, several of the world's first tests within these fields. That's amazing. That's awesome. I have so many questions about that. I guess my first question is, you're a finance how, like a finance guy, I, that sounds terrible. Like I don't want to like belittle it to to not being a thing, but how did you like, or, and did you, I guess is a better question, have imposter syndrome in this world of science? Like, how did you work through that? I feel like my initial thought would have thought I would have had to go back to school to get a mm. master's degree in some sort of biology or something before I can even have a chance at this. Like, did that cross mm. your brain at all when you were no. hustling? <laughs> it didn't. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Which is so weird. I'm so jealous. How did that not? So here's the way I I viewed the whole thing. Um, first of all, when I was in finance, and you know, technically the uh, the firm I spent most of my career with, we had 140 different investment strategies that we represented and and raised capital for. Now you're not raising capital for every one of those in every meeting and every discussion, but there's probably a good 10 to 15 of those strategies that were in completely different fields. So you'd have equity, fixed income. Within equity and fixed income, you have you know, emerging market debt, corporate debts, uh, you know, there's so many different verticals and sort of subsectors to all these different areas. And so through this, you know, years and years of, uh, of, of being in that world, I was sort of forced to become a subject matter expert or as close to a subject matter expert as I could in so many different verticals. So for me, when I made this move, this was actually somewhat easy for me because it was just one vertical that I could go as deep and as wide in as possible without any other distractions from the other areas. And so I was so focused on it. That helped tremendously. So that helped me really go deep and broad uh, in the beginning but you know, the, the really answer it is the moment you reach your limitations of your knowledge and your understanding is the moment where every entrepreneur really shines. And that is in identifying people and partners to surround yourself with that can fill those gaps and fill those needs so that you know you don't fall behind and you continue to grow. And so, you know, I've definitely I, I experienced that. Um, you talked about solopreneurship for the first year and a half. It was really just me. And then the last year and a half was a transition to building uh, relationships and partnerships and surrounding ourselves with the people and the partners and the expertise that we need to take things to a new level. And really, you know, the first year and a half was just validating the process and the model and overcoming a lot of the early odds. But the last year and a half has been all about acceleration of growth, and that was only made possible by the people I surrounded myself with. And so, um, you know, the, the moment you hit that wall, if if you if you think you're going to learn everything by yourself, you'll fail. You've got to surround yourself with people that can fill the gap. That is such a good lesson, and yeah, I mean, such a good one of probably many lessons that you learned moving from solopreneurship to entrepreneurship. When did you know you needed to hire somebody to your team? Like, was it just the lack of the knowledge when you're like, okay, I don't know how to do this? I feel like people need to hire people on their team for a lot of different reasons. One of which is like, you need a skill that you don't have, or you're unable yeah. to learn in the appropriate amount of time. Other is just 
you're so busy. Other is like your clients are suffering. Like there's a lot of reasons. Right. How you know, a lot of, a lot of like trigger points of, of when you want to hire. What, what was the first one for you? Or, and have you experienced all of those in this, in this last two yeah. years, year and a half? Yeah, I've experienced almost all of those. Um, and yeah, I'll bring you up to speed on where we are today. For me, the it started with bringing in scientific advisors. That's really when the you know when mm-hmm. I my business model, my R and D process is very data and technology heavy. So there's very few people involved. We've essentially replaced people with machines and data in the earliest stages of of research and development. But what comes out of that process is real science. And without a background in that field it was important to take what came out of that process and identify experts and key opinion leaders that could help us make sense of what came out of it scientifically and also help us shape and craft you know how we would actually take the science and turn it into a product that would address a specific need at, you know for a specific disease and specific patient so all of that really started with scientific advisors so we've got some of the the world's leaders in breast and liver and in lung that have been guiding us for a long time now that was the first moment of that. Um, the second moment of that was when we launched into women's health. And so my first venture was in lung cancer. Um, and and all, of our, all of our products, all of our liquid biopsy testing programs sit within their own independent corporations that IVBH owns and operates and controls. So they're all sort of independent corporations by themselves. Liquid Lung was our pulmonary disease company uh, that houses our lung cancer IP. HepGene is our metabolic health and wellness company that houses our liver disease IP. And then Mammagen is women's health housing the IP for breast cancer. And while Liquid Lung and HepGene were and still are very virtual, they're very just intellectual property heavy, Mammagen was born out of a very personal experience where uh, my sister's best friend, best childhood friend at the age of 28 was diagnosed with stage 2B breast cancer. Uh, in May of 2020, she had no family history, no genetic predisposition. It was just bad luck. And she became m- one of many women in my world below the age of 40 to get breast cancer, which really sent me down this rabbit hole of figuring out why women aren't being screened. What are the limitations of technology? You know, What's the false positive versus false negative debate? How do we manage that? So I spent a lot of time on that. And when Mammagen was born, and we had the initial focus in early breast cancer detection, I felt compelled to hire someone to lead that organization. There was just, there was so much more personality and emotion and personal experience built into that entity from its founding that I didn't necessarily want it to just be kind of a shell intellectual property holding company. Um, I wanted it to, to have real, breathe real life into it. And so I decided to hire uh, the the world's oldest executive retained search firm in life sciences, um, founded by a, a very dear friend of mine, Didi Demand, back in the early 70s. And we put out an international search for a woman to lead that entity. Um, you know, and within the first couple of days, we had seven women come forward for that role, all had had anywhere from 15 to 20 years of experience in the diagnostics industry, all had raised you know, hundreds of millions of capital combined in private financing rounds all had had some sort of a successful exit through an acquisition or a public offering. Um, but Liz, uh, of the seven, Liz Cormier May was head and shoulders above the rest. And uh, where Liz uh, really brought 
she brought all the credentials, all the applied experience. She filled the gap of the commercial expertise and the know-how that we really needed to take the science and bring it, uh, you know, to market. But she brought more passion, more enthusiasm, and a sense of relentless execution that it was just it was oozing from her. And I knew when we hired her that this was going to be a critical part of our future and our growth, not just for Mammogen and Women's Health, but for our entire organization. And she's my other half. She's literally my mirror opposite. Um, we are so aligned in our mission. We're so aligned in our thinking and our heart and our work ethic, but we're polar opposites. I have no science mm -hmm. background. She was an organic chemist. Um, I had no experience in biotech and healthcare, and she spent her entire career, 20 years in the field. I had never commercialized a product. She commercialized the world's first liquid biopsy product in, in the field. And even down to little quirky things like I'm a left-handed person, but do everything righty. She's a right-handed person, but does everything lefty. And it's just little wow. things like that that are so bizarre and they're quirky, but they're real. And so finding that complement of skill sets and background and experience, but doing it in, with an aligned sense of purpose and mission changed my entire perspective and my entire experience as an entrepreneur and really shaped the beginnings and the foundation of what we're now building as this incredible corporate culture. And, um, and so that, that started with Liz. And then it expanded from there where we pulled in a lab partner and we pulled in a data science team uh, you know, from, from Ireland. And it just continues to compound and to build. And it's just such a super exciting time um, to awesome. see it all happening in real, in real time. That's amazing. That was a lot of great information. But if I were to boil it down, it's like, it sounds like the first thing that you, the first shift you had to make was hiring and figuring out what to hire yeah. and who to hire and, and, and all of that. What other shifts have you learned? Like once the people were in the seats, were there any, were there any other lessons you learned from going from being on your own to having a team that would be helpful for listeners to, to hear about? Well, the shift to hiring and bringing on people for entrepreneurs, especially first-time entrepreneurs, there is one group of experts that I failed to mention, and it was probably my steepest learning curve. When I first started the business, I made this move, I made this jump, put everything on the line, felt super confident in the business plan. I was ready to hit the ground running, and then I was newly introduced to the world of attorneys. <laughs> and I've never had to deal with an attorney. I always worked in big companies that just had a yeah. general counsel sort of tucked away in the corner, taking care of all the, the business, you know, behind closed doors. I'd never gotten in any trouble, you know, knock on wood. I never had to deal with the courts and attorneys and legal work whatsoever in my entire life. And so that was a really steep learning curve. And I learned very quickly that there are many different types of attorneys. And so you need several. You can't really just have one. Um, there are more importantly, there are attorneys that are deal makers and there are attorneys that are intended to be deal breakers. And <laughs> it's important to figure out who they are and what, when, and where, and how to use them and navigating just those, the relationship aspect of it, the expertise of it, the need when it's needed. And most importantly, the budgeting aspect of it, because you could cut corners on certain things, um, which I did in, you know, in not meaningful ways in the beginning, thank God. Um, but you end up, you end up just paying more down the road to fix a lot of the problems. And so identifying the right partner with the right expertise, setting the right expectations up front and being really mindful about how you budget 
how you plan and how you work together is a really, really critical part of being a successful entrepreneur. And they, you know, one thing that, that people, they spend a lot of time talking about in social media, Instagram, even podcasts, you hear a lot about the success aspect of entrepreneurship, the exits, you know, bought this, sold this, turned this around, everybody's making money, you work from home, you have, you know, you've got your own schedule, you're the boss, it's all like the, the, the glamour of entrepreneurship, but not enough time is really spent on all of the things, um, kind of the dark side of entrepreneurship. And it is a scary, lonely place. And you could slit your own throat without even knowing you're doing it and just making tiny little mistakes from a legal standpoint with how you're structuring your business or things aren't filed on time. And it's really scary to, you know, when you actually step back and think about how alone you really are and making sure that you surround yourself with experts that can keep you out of all those, you know, scary things and allow you to focus on just driving growth and executing on your business. So that's a really important piece, I think, you know, of, of my experience that I wanted at least first time entrepreneurs listening to the show to, you know, to take something away from. Yeah, it's such a good point. It's like you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> There's a lot you don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Can you share any like major oh shit moments that you've had in growing where you were like, oh, well, don't want to ever make that mistake again or or anything like that? Is there anything you can share as far as a lesson? Uh, mine are more personality driven. So my my natural disposition is an eternal optimist, not a blind optimist, but an eternal optimist. And my superpower is also my, my kryptonite in that I genuinely love to love people. And every interaction that I have with somebody that I'm meeting for the first time, I'm wanting to love them and I'm wanting to find the best in that person and wanting to partner and work with them and incorporate it in some way, shape or form. That has been a blessing in so many ways in my entrepreneurial journey, but a curse in that you have to stay focused and not every person is the right person to be spending your time and energy on at that point in time in your business and your growth. And so there's a lot of room for potential distraction. Mm -hmm. And while it might lead to something down the road, and I'm, I'm, I absolutely encourage you know, fostering relationships and networking, you do have to kind of have a check in place that says, wait a minute, you know, given where we are right now and what our needs are today versus what our needs might be five years to 10 years, let's try to reprioritize where we're putting that time and attention. That for me is really, really hard to do because I want to devote a hundred percent of that energy into every single person that I meet. Yeah. Partially, you know, also why having a solid team helps with that. And so my partner Liz counterbalances some of that. And she acts sometimes as a check and balance to it. And sometimes I have to act as a check and balance to that with her. And we trust each other to say, Hey, yeah, you know what? You're right. That is kind of a waste of time right now. Let's just table that yeah. and move on. Um, so that's probably more of a personality, you know, dilemma that I've had to deal with and, and sort of navigate through. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very common in v different versions of it, I think it's a very common thing that entrepreneurs can run into is figuring out what is priority right now and like putting on the 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 blockers to anything that's not a priority while also not ruining the ability to to come back to it at a later date. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. it's definitely something. And and for me, I'm a hundred percent extrovert. Like every test you take, I am a hundred percent extrovert, and so I get energy. 
from collaborating with people and being around people. And so it's like when my cup is filled by being around people, I'll do that. And then I'll be like, I haven't done anything in my business in two two weeks except (laughs) meet a bunch of people. And it feels great, but I'm not getting anything done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a hard, and it's hard. It's a hard balance. Um, it really is. And, you know, you're doing things, your vision is so big with your business. So, you know, finding balance between the blockers that help you get things done today that get you closer to the vision. And to your point, fostering those relationships and nurturing them, keeping Britain, you know, not burning bridges so that you can come back to it when the time is right, um, is really a tricky balance. Mm -hmm. It totally is. So switching gears a little bit, I know that you are your your team is growing, your company is growing, and one of the things that we chatted about on our call before uh, when we were preparing for this podcast is you have a fairly small team, and you have an amazing culture, and you're going to be adding some new leadership roles to the mix, and you're what's I don't know if I, I wouldn't I don't know that I'll say it's keeping you up at night, but something that is on your mind about that is how do you preserve the culture as you add new people to the team. And so wanted to dive into that a little bit. And I know it's been a while since we've, we've had this discussion, but I'm curious, is that still something that you're worrying about? Like, is that something that you think about and, and I guess share with listeners your thoughts on that before we kind of dive in? It's definitely on my mind. Uh, It is really important to me as I think about the longevity of our business. So kind of building off that last conversation of the day-to-day is so important. You have to execute. If you're not executing on the today, you'll never get to the tomorrow. So execution is key. But, you know, the business, at least for me personally, what Liz and I are building, we intend to be a very lasting, to have a very lasting impact. I mean, a century's worth or more of impact is really our mission. And so with that, kind of longevity in mind, we have to be thoughtful about who we're bringing in to our organization because the culture and the soul of the company is really what is going to get us to unlock that vision. And so just hiring a friend because they fill a need, you know, okay, you might have to do that in the short term to fill some needs, but I, but we want to be really, really thoughtful, especially as we're thinking about key hires in in sort of the executive level of making sure we're bringing people in that are completely and entirely bought in. Um, If you're not completely bought in on the mission, it's a tough business. There is no such things as a straight line, no such thing as a straight line in our business. There will be twists, there'll be turns, there'll be pivots, there'll be ups, and there'll be downs. Those things are guaranteed. And when push comes to shove, if person doesn't truly isn't fueled by the passion of what we're trying to accomplish, it's going to break and it, and it won't last. And you know, look, it'll probably happen. It probably happens to everyone, but we try to minimize that and manage that as much as we can. And I, and so I'm spending a lot of time really just figuring out what are those things. Um, obviously I'm driven by a deep and genuine love for people. Uh, everything that we do is every decision we make is with the, the very clear, recognition that there is a human being on the other side of that decision. We're in startup, we move fast, we break things, we use data, we use mm-hmm. tech, but all of that means nothing to us. It's just a means to 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 positively impacting patients. And when we say patients, we're literally into like my team thinks about our family. 
We think about ourselves, our own health. If this hit me, if this happened to me, how would I diagnose it? How would I treat it? How would we, you know, how would we deal with all the emotional traumas that come with one of these, you know, diseases? How has that impacted our own family? What if this happened to my wife? What if it happened to my daughter? We think about this all the time. It's central to every decision we make. And then we're just using data, technology, and all the other business components to make it come to, you know, come to bring it to life. And so that appreciation for the human element, almost in an informal way, um, you know, we're not a very formal team because of that deep personal touch, but we have a lot of respect for what we're doing um, and for the human on the other side of it. So that's really central um, of real uh, an appreciation for technology and an optimistic viewpoint on how technology could be positively uh, you know, utilized in our society is an important thing. Um, you know, we just tend to have a positive overall feeling internally. And then lastly, I'd say kind of the other pillar we're leaning towards here is, is central is creativity. And that is creativity in all of its forms, creativity in truly, you know, inventing new things, creating new processes, um, creativity in being feeling uh, the creative freedom to be bold and to challenge things and to call bullshit on things and the status quo if you think it, there's a better way to do it and feeling comfortable to be creative through that you know through that means so that there's that human passion an appreciation and optimism for technology in the future and and you know the creativity to actually go for it those are the things that we're spending a lot of time thinking about um, mm -hmm. and I don't know how you put how, I don't know how you put a formal process behind that or a formal you know uh, I don't know how you formalize it. So any thoughts or, you know, experience from you would yeah. be helpful on that. Um, but that's a lot of along the lines of where we're thinking today. Well, it sounds like, I mean, that was going to be my first question is like, have you guys defined what your values are and what's important to you? And it sounds like conversationally you have, but you haven't written it down and put it into to some concise language. And that would right. be my first recommendation is, how do you make these three things like into a sentence each, right? Like, mm. and it's more of like, we are statements of them, you know, mm. like we're, we're technology optimists or something along that. I don't know if that's the right sentence for it. It's really but helpful. Turning those three things into almost like, yeah, declarations of who well, yeah, you stand yeah. for. And then also like, it, another cool exercise to do with, and I forgot her name. You mentioned her name, Liz. Um, your CEO, Liz. Thank you. I was going to say Liz, but I was like, I don't know if that's right. A cool exercise to do with Liz might be to what do, who are we not? Right. Mm. Like by declaring who you are, you're also kind of declaring who you are not. And so just getting clear on that um, and, and writing those things down. And then those become kind of your company values and like, your North stars that you look to when you're making decisions, mm. you know, you'll bring those up when you're faced with the hard decision on a new business, um, maybe like a new, a new service you're getting into or, or something new. Um, you'll yeah. like look to those and be like, okay, do these from these filter, like what should we do, um, in the decisions? And then the next, once you have those things down, then you weave those into the, to the hiring process and you specifically interview for those qualities. So like mm. once they're once you have them into sentences, what you would do would be like, okay, 
who is somebody who truly has a passion for like supporting, you know, like the health of humanity or, or, or whatever it is that you decide on and Mm -hmm. defining like who that is, like, how do they show up? It's almost kind of like your customer avatar, right? Yeah. In marketing, but for, for people. Um, and then once you know, and you define what that is, then you can like figure out how to interview for that and screen for that in the hiring process. Mm. Um, would be what I would do. So it sounds like you guys are already thinking that way, but actually like spend a half of a day strategizing it and putting yeah. it into writing and yeah. putting it into a document. And and it's probably be a working doc that yeah. over the it, next few years continues to evolve um, as your company evolves. Um, but that'd be where I would start from the hiring perspective. Have you done any version of that or tried no, to do any of that yet? No, it, you know, mm-hmm. it's been so unspoken because Liz and I are in such like sync with all of it that we just Mm -hmm. it's unspoken we know those are the we know it's there but it's so unrealistic to think that everyone that we bring in is going to have that same level of unspoken esp (laughs) right and we need to make sure that it's it's really known from the start but this is super helpful i'm actually so excited that this is a recorded podcast session because i can't wait to Mm -hmm. listen to re-listen to that that segment of this um of this interview so that we can really spend time thinking about that because I've already got some ideas for how we could distill the, you know, are we being creative in, in the boldness of our thinking? Are we looking to use technology in ways that ultimately positively impact patients? So like those three things, those questions really just distill it down into the, not only the, the core values, but the order in which we should be thinking about them when we're making decisions, right. making hires, you know, expanding the business. So that's the culture piece for sure. I don't know if culture is even the right word, but these are the values of your company, right? And there's also going to be behaviors or more like skills that you're like unwilling to teach. We all have them in our business, you know? And so a lot of times people will, companies I think will define a value as that. But I think what I mean by that is like, I don't know, like default to date, like using data for decision-making might be something, Mm. I I don't know, maybe that's not a good example, but like curiosity, like I'm imagining that the people who come to work for you have to have be genuinely curious about the world and you're unwilling to teach people how to become curious. Absolutely. And so just like figuring out what those three to five things are that you're like, no, anyone who comes to work here needs to already have this skill because I'm. We're not going to devote time to to training you on this, right. and I Absolutely. think that's fine to decide. Absolutely. So that would kind of be like taking it another step for sure. Mm. And then you weave these cultures, these values into the processes you make in the future, right? It's like you weave them into your onboarding, you weave them into your performance management processes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they all get woven into every little employee experience so that they stay alive in your culture, um, yep. which sounds idealistic because it is and it takes work, but it starts with who you hire. Because if who you hire have these, then it's easier to bring them into all the other aspects of your business. Well, and then the, there's the trickle down effect. If the next hire shares all of that, then the next hire they make is likely to share all of that. And the next hire they make is likely to share all that. And all of a sudden we've got, 
you know, an entire organization of people who maybe I, me and Liz didn't hire directly or, you know, right from the beginning, but they're all marching to that same, to that same beat. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's something we're thinking a lot about, you know, in the context of longevity and, and as we grow, um, that's super helpful. And, and one of the things that's been, you know, sort of keeping me up also is that transition of, um, you know, entrepreneurs have to do, have to build the business up to a certain point and, you know, business building, wearing every single hat, doing every single job, but successful entrepreneurs find a way to transition into not business building, but build, but builders of systems. And you mentioned that and really building systems in place so that things are scalable and, you know, and happening faster, but without losing that that soul and that identity. And that's so important. And, you know, the system building piece has been become is becoming much more important to me as we look to start expanding the team. Yeah. And just getting things out of your head and onto paper and defining yep. it for sure. Um, will be, will be huge for you. Well, I'm so excited to see you guys continue to grow and, and scale and, and the impact you're going to make. Um, the only other thing that I was thinking about as we were talking a piece of advice would be once you've landed on these core values, work with Liz and be like, how are we going to know if this is actually a value? Like how, like maybe like you could even do like a, I've never done this before, so I'm making this up on the fly, but like you guys could each, you could have a conversation of like, what is it that you do that makes me know that this is a value of yours? Mm. Because then that will help you create a list of questions and things to look at or ways to design the interview process to pull Mm. those things out of one another. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's like, maybe for you or her, the being a technology optimist, I'll, I'll call it that is ever like this, like the, all the conversations around AI right now, you're instantly like, oh my gosh, this could benefit us. You're defaulting to the positive versus like, oh my God, AI is going to take over the world. Um, Or you send me articles about how this is going to better humanity versus sending me the scary podcast about how it's going to take us out. Like that's just an example of like how it shows up. Yeah. So an interview question could be something like, hey, you know, what do you do when the when the next iPhone drops? Like, what? How do you react? You know, do you upgrade automatically? Do you wait for it? You're just trying to right. get a feel for how people adopt to technology, if right. and when it happens. Right? It could be an early indicator of you know of somebody who's optimistic about the next best thing. Exactly. Or like, have you tried Chat GPT? Like, right. what are your initial thoughts on that? Like. How do you think it's going to help you? Like, do you think it's going to help your, like in your career? I don't know. Something that's another yeah, example, yeah, yeah. but yeah, those yeah. are totally things you could ask. No, that's really helpful. So creating those interview questions so that you both know what you're asking in those interviews around those values is, is, is definitely going to help you suss that out versus going on your gut, you know? Right. Well, yeah, because to my point before, the gut is going to default to wanting to hire the person. <laughs> it's just a hundred percent. That's just my personality. So, really making sure we're hiring with the right values, and so uh, this has been so helpful. Well, good. Well, hopefully, it helps out. And 
thank you for coming on the show and being vulnerable and talking about these things and sharing your lessons. I think listeners will 100% resonate with this in some level. Most of the listeners are probably not in biotech. Um, so hopefully it has, I don't feel like we've gotten too technical for it to go over, over their heads, but um, I'm sure they can resonate with some of that. So you are going to continue to hire. You're also potentially looking, I'm imagining at some point fundraising for your business and, and all of those things. Where can listeners learn more about your company, check out jobs you're hiring for? Yeah, I'm sure some of them have listened to you and like, I want to work for this guy. Like where can they, how can they learn more about your company and, and what you guys are up to? Yeah, I appreciate that. We are, um, our website is www dot i v b h i v b h dot studio and we recently revamped that it's a super cool site i had a huge role in the design and the copy aspect of it it really encapsulates all of the things that differentiate us and that we stand for um interestingly too we actually before we were about a month before this started to become a popular thing um where one of my former college roommates started to develop uh, an algorithm that trained AI-based artwork. And so all of the artwork on the IVBH.studio website is 100% AI trained and it's 100% original That's to awesome. us. And so I worked really closely with him in the, you know, as we we're training the algorithms for very specific images and photos. So it's a really unique, it's almost like a curated little art gallery, um, which again, is, is all part of the creativity uh, behind everything that we're doing. It's very scientific, it's very technical, but there's a ton of creativity behind uh, everything that we, you know, how we approach everything. So the website is a great place to go. Any contact us form sends an email to an info at ivbh.studio address, which automatically gets forwarded to me. So I read and look at every single email that comes through that. And then my partner, Elizabeth Cormier-May and myself, Marty Kaiser, are both really active on LinkedIn. We've got a pretty decent growing following there. It's where we pretty much spend most of our social media time um, in terms of promoting the business and, and looking for partners and investors and advisors. So um, I appreciate you throwing that out there at the end. And and really, that is that is our focus day in and day out, attracting the right people, the right partners, the right investors, the right advisors that, that align with the mission and uh, and will you know work hand in hand with us as we blow through walls uh, to to make it happen. Amazing. Well, we will share all of this in the show notes. So anyone who doesn't remember the 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 web address, it'll be linked in the show notes. Um, I'll be cheering you on and would love to support in any way I can with the with the cause. Um, and thank you so much for for again for taking time to be on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jackie. This was really great. All right. We'll talk again soon, listeners. If you're not driving, stop and take a moment to share this episode with someone who you thought about while listening. Share it with your team to show them you're committed to their growth. Share it with a fellow business owner in your network who you know will be moved by the message. Heck, share it with your mother, your brother, your sister, or your cousin. Your support in growing the show means the world to me. 